chapter, and the title of our message this morning is B.C. Before Christ. We're going to talk about what life was like before Christ, before we met Jesus. But before we get into that, I want to talk this morning and just kind of give you an introduction of where we're going to be headed for the next several weeks, possibly the next few months. I mentioned at the end of last year that I want to do a study on the doctrine of salvation. I want us to know what salvation is and what salvation is not. And so that's where we're headed for the next several weeks, possibly the next few months, talking about salvation. We're going to deal with justification, redemption, election, predestination, eternal security, talk about grace, talking about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility when it comes to uh, salvation. So we're going to look at all those different aspects of salvation. And you may be wondering, Pastor, why are we going to talk about salvation? I come to church, I'm saved. Well, here's why this is so important. I want you to know that you know without a shadow of doubt that you're saved. I want you to have assurance of salvation. And I believe that the only way that you can know that you are saved is to know what salvation is and to know what salvation is not. Hear me. If you're believing the wrong thing, you can end up eternally separated from God. Let me say it this way. If you're believing a false gospel, you'll spend eternity separated from God. Because everybody who proclaims to be preaching the gospel is not preaching a true gospel. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 through 9. I marvel, he says, I'm amazed that you're so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. If any man preach any other gospel to you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Hear me folks, there's only one gospel. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel of performance. It is a gospel of grace. And it is a gospel of faith in Christ and Christ alone. If somebody ever tells you to believe in Jesus and do anything else, it's a false gospel. If it's Jesus plus anything, it's a false gospel. And that's what Paul was confronting in the book of Galatians. Believe in Jesus, but be circumcised. Believe in Jesus, but go back to the law. That's a false gospel. The gospel is Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? And that's what you've got to understand. And so if you're believing anything other than Jesus and Jesus alone, it's a false gospel. And so you need to know what salvation is and what salvation is not so that you can know where you stand with God. And I believe that's important. Amen? Because as I mentioned last week, you can be religious and still be lost. And I would hate to know that I went to church my entire life thinking I'm okay to find out one day I'm not okay. And Him, hear, and him tell me, depart from me. I don't know you. 
I've heard stories of preachers preaching in the pulpit and come across the words, the just shall live by faith, and have to read those words over and over and over and again, and the Spirit of God convict them and then get saved while preaching their own message. Thank God that He worked on them. Amen? I've heard of deacons after serving in the church for years and years and years finally getting saved. But thank God He gave them grace. Amen? Listen, we've got to believe the right thing. We've got to know where we stand with God. That's why this is important. And so we've got to ask the question, where do we begin? And that's why I've wrestled with this all week long. Where do I begin? Where do I start this study of salvation? And I came up with this question. This is why I believe God led me to. We've got to answer this question. Why do I need salvation? Why do I need to be saved? I believe that's where you've got to start. And so that's where we get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Let's look at it on the screen. Or look at it in your Bible. And you. And let me just point out, he's talking to Gentile people. And eventually he'll be talking to the Jews. But let me make it personal and tell you that he's talking to you as well. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You know who that's referring to? Referring to Satan. He said, you were under the power of Satan. The Spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, that refers to our conduct, in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Let's pause for a moment. And let's just pray. Father, thankful for Your presence this morning. And I'm thankful for Your Word. And I ask now that You open our hearts to receive, open our ears to hear. And I pray, God, for Your anointing and Your power to be upon my life that I can convey what You've put upon my heart to share with Your people today. And I pray today, God, that You would help us to lay aside tradition and lay aside things that we may have heard our entire lives and help us to understand the truth of Your Word, that it will have an impact upon our lives. And we thank You now for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now let me just pause for a moment and say this. Some of the things we're going to cover over the next several weeks is going to be controversial for some of you. Some of you are going to leave here on Sunday morning saying, Preacher, I don't agree with you. And listen, that's fine. But you need to go home with it and you need to wrestle with it between you and God. And here's what I want to say to you up front, not trying to be mean and not wanting to be controversial over these next several weeks, but here's what I want to do. I want to be biblical. And here's what I do want to say to all of us. Don't allow tradition to keep you from truth. Because Jesus told the Pharisees, you, because of your tradition, you've made the Word of God of none effect. In other words, your traditions have made the Word of God ineffective. Listen, I don't want because what I've heard traditionally my entire life to keep me from missing what God has truly said in His Word. And there's going to be some deep things that we get into over the next several weeks and months that some of us are going to leave saying, hey, I don't know that I fully understand that. And I don't know that I fully agree with that. But here's the thing. Don't let what we've heard our entire lives keep us from what the Word of God really says. Amen? Listen, I'm just the messenger. I didn't write it. I'm not the author. And so... 
we just we have to just on some Sundays just agree to disagree. I'm not trying to be controversial, but I do want to as best I can be biblical because I've got to stand before God. Amen. So this morning, in these verses that we read, Paul describes what every person is outside of Jesus. He describes every person what they are outside of Jesus. And these verses tell us why we need a Savior. So first of all, he tells us we were dead. He says we were dead. Notice, he says, You have He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word dead literally means a corpse. It was the word used to describe a dead body. However, in this passage, it refers to one devoid of all spiritual life. It refers to one who is spiritually dead. It means means far more than being separated and alienated from God. It refers to being spiritually dead. Paul is saying that when we were without Jesus, when we were outside of Christ, we were absolutely unable and incapable to initiate any movement toward God. In other words, when a person is dead, there is no life there whatsoever. There is nothing that they can respond to. There is no stimuli whatsoever there that they can have any movement whatsoever. And that is what Paul is saying. It reminds us that we were unwilling and incapable of coming to God by our own initiative. In other words, there was nothing in us that could make an effort towards God. While in sin, we were dead to God. In other words, we were dead men walking, dead women walking. We were alive physically, but we were dead spiritually. In other words, we couldn't get to God on our own. We were devoid of all spiritual life. Now, not everybody believes that about those that are lost. In fact, some people believe that the lost have the ability to approach God when they want to and on their own terms. Some people believe that, hey, I can make a decision for Jesus anytime I want to, but that's not what the Bible says. Some people think I can live my life and wait till I'm on my deathbed and then make a decision for Jesus. I can pray this prayer and accept Him and just choose Him when I want to. But that, 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 the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't teach that. Because here's the thing, if... If sinners are truly dead, you're unable to come to God. And so God has to make the first move in salvation. Listen to these verses, John 6, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 6, 65. And he said, therefore said I unto you, that no man can come to me except it were given him, or except it were granted to him. Of my Father. Does it sound like you can come when you want to? What does it say? No man can come unless he's drawn. Who starts the process? Or who makes the first move? God does. Why? Because we're dead. And when you're dead, you're lifeless and you can't do anything. Right? You see, here's the thing. Lost people aren't just sick that need healing. Lost people are dead and they need to be resurrected. Right? They they, they don't just need CPR. They need need resurrection. They need to be quickened. They need to be made alive so that they can be saved. And here's the thing. That's entirely the work of God. Think about the resurrection of Lazarus. That's a picture-perfect illustration of what it means to be saved. Lazarus was dead. He's buried in the tomb. He's stinking. He's rotten. He's decaying. 
But Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Can I tell you, that's what happened when you got saved. He said, Scotty, come forth. And I lived. He said, Tommy, come forth. And you lived. He calls you and He resurrects you and He brings life. That's what happens. It's a resurrection. That's why He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Why? Because we were dead. And there was nothing we could do to move towards Him. But He called you and you came to life. Amen? Aren't you glad He called you? Because there was nothing you could do by yourself. But He called you by name. You heard that voice and you responded. He awakened you. And you lived. Paul says we were dead in trespasses and sin. It means literally that the lost are dead because of their trespasses and sin. In other words, sin is the root cause of mankind's spiritual deadness. And here's the thing. The lost are going to stay in that state of deadness until God comes to them and raises them from the dead. Here's the thing. If you never come to Jesus Christ for salvation, you're dead and you'll stay dead. That's why the things of God mean nothing to lost people. Because they're dead. That's why lost people can come to church and never feel anything. They're dead. That's why lost people can come to church and they're bored. Because they're dead. In fact, if you're here today and you're dead, if you're bored, it might be because you're dead. If you're here today and you're bored and you don't get anything out of the Word of God, it's because you might be dead. Just being honest with you. If you're here today and you can't feel nothing, it might be because you're dead. If you're here and nothing ever stirs your heart, it might be because you're dead. Tell you what Paul says. Don't shoot the messenger. Because here's the thing, have you ever seen people come to church and one people can leave blessed and happy and somebody else just leaves like nothing never happened? Why? Because one's been awakened and one's dead. Why why two people can hear the same message and one gets saved and one doesn't? Well, that person's dead and God didn't God didn't draw. And God drew another. Listen, it's the sovereignty of God. And we'll get into that weeks later. We were dead. But secondly, we were disobedient. Look at verse 2. He said, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Guess, guess what? We marched to the drumbeat of this world. We marched to the drumbeat of this world according to the prince of the power of air. Guess who was beating the drum? <laughs> Satan was beating the drum and we were falling in line. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You see, disobedience led to the beginning of man's spiritual death. You know what caused death in this world? Disobedience. Go back to Genesis 2.17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Don't you think God was serious when He said that? In the day that you eat of it, you're going to surely die. You'll certainly die. And then Genesis 3, 4, the serpent comes along. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. God said the day you eat of it, you're going to die. And the serpent comes along, you'll not die. 
And because Adam and Eve believed the lie, the first man and woman sinned and experienced immediate spiritual death and ultimate physical death. And since that time, mankind has lived in disobedience to God. There are three forces that encourage man in his disobedience. The world, the devil, and the flesh. These things constantly fight against us and want us to disobey God. Hear me well. Outside of Christ, we were opposed to God and everything that God stood for. We lived for ourselves and we wanted to be the boss of our lives. Inside each of us, there is this natural rebellion against the things of God. When you didn't know Jesus, inside of you there was this natural rebellion and natural bent to do things your own way. In fact, let me say this, even inside of Christ, there's still this desire within us to want to still do things our own way. Amen. That There's just this natural rebellion and tendency to do what we want to do and to be disobedient. In fact, let me just say this, when somebody tells you do not touch the paint, there is this natural inclination to want to touch the paint. Why? Because there's just something inside of us that wants to be disobedient and be rebellious. When you tell a kid don't play with fire, what do they want to do? They want to get the matches, they want to get the lighter, and they want to play with fire. Why? Because we're children of disobedience. It's in us. Don't play in the road. And guess what they want to do? They want to get right smack dab in the middle of it. Because that's inside of us. Why? Because Satan was disobedient. And guess what? That's what we want to do. He's the prince and power of the air. And we fall right in line. In fact, the Bible tells us that we were enemies of God. Romans 5.10 For if when we were enemies... You see, as we live for ourselves and as we live for this world... We were enemies of God. We were at war against God. And you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor, I wasn't fighting against God. But here's what I mean. If you weren't for God, you were against God. If you weren't living for Him, you were living against Him and living for yourself. You were opposed to Him. In fact, the Bible says that we were hostile against Him. You see, whether we were aware of it or not before Christ, we were under the control of the values and attitudes of this world. We were dominated by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We were disobedient. I know I was. You were too. You may not have been as bad as other people, but you were disobedient. Just look at your childhood. My mom and daddy told you not to do something, and you went out and did it anyway. You were disobedient. Paul says that's what we were outside of Christ. We were disobedient. But let me give you a third thing. We were depraved. We were depraved. Look at verse 3. He says, Among whom also we had our conversation, our conduct in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. In this verse, Paul's talking about his people, the Jews. And in these words, he talks about human depravity. Now, some people don't like the phrase total depravity. But here's what it means. It means that we're in a depraved state. The word depraved means corrupt, wicked, perverted. I believe that word correctly describes the human condition. Look at our world today. 
Isn't this world corrupt? Isn't it wicked? Isn't it perverted? So we can say the world's depraved. Right? It doesn't imply that all men are as bad as they could be. Listen, you weren't as bad as you could have been. I wasn't as bad as I could have been. But I'll tell you this, I was bad. I was bad enough. Amen? You might not have been as bad as you could have been, but you were bad enough, wasn't you? But it does imply that all people are sinners and capable of committing the vilest of sins. We may not have been as bad as we could have been, but we could have been much worse than what we were. Amen? We could have, we, oh, we could have done some much worse things than what we did do. Here's the thing, if we could have gotten away with it, we probably would have done it. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean that lost people can't do good deeds because we know they can. It does mean that they can never merit salvation on their own. Can't ever be good enough to be saved on your own. It does mean that they can never do anything in that sinful state that is pleasing to God. The Bible says there is no one good, there is none righteous, and there are none that seek God. It does mean that they are incapable, incapable of making the first move toward God. We done saw that in John chapter 6. That no man can come unless they're drawn. In other words, you can't make the first move towards God because of depravity. Philippians 2.15 says that this world is a crooked and perverse generation. Ray Stedman says that this verse means we are surrounded by crooks and perverts. It's a good analysis, isn't it? It's a good description of our world. The fact is, as you look at our world today, people aren't getting better. They're getting worse. The word corrupt in that verse, Philippians 2.15, refers to a corpse rotting and putrefying in the sun. It's a picture of an ongoing, ever-worsening corruption. And so here in Ephesians 2.3, Paul gives us a picture of our depravity before Jesus Christ. Two things. We were depraved in our appetites. Notice the words that he uses to describe our condition. condition. He talks about the lust of our flesh. And this refers to the natural desires that drive the body and the mind. The desires of the flesh and of the mind speak of those natural appetites that characterize humanity. The word lust refers to strong desires and inclinations of every kind. Not just sexual desires, but every pull of the flesh is in view here. The word desires refers to strong willfulness, wanting and seeking something with diligence. You see, these words picture sinners as they are driven about by their minds and their flesh, seeking to gratify and satisfy the wicked appetites of the natural man. In other words, without Jesus, we were selfish and we were enslaved to our desires. You see, life was all about satisfying our lust and selfish desires. Let me say it this way. We love sin and we hated righteousness. We love sin and we hated anything that stood for God. We wanted to live for self. But also, we were depraved in our actions. Paul says we had our conversation, our conduct in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Conversation, it refers to our walk, our conduct, our manner of life. Paul is saying that we live for the flesh. We live to satisfy the flesh and that was a way of life. In other words, here's what he's saying. The philosophy, if it feels good, do it, is the philosophy that we live by. In other words, we did whatever felt natural to us and we couldn't resist it, and we couldn't fight against it. We had no defense for it. You see, because of our depravity, sin came naturally. Think about that. Sin came naturally. 
We had no defenses against the sin that operated within us. And we had no desire to resist the sins that enticed us. Think about this. We enjoyed our sin. When you were outside of Christ and you committed sin, you enjoyed it. I did. Sin was fun. And if you didn't enjoy it, you did it wrong. (laughs) If you didn't enjoy it, you did it wrong. Because I can tell you, sin was fun. Amen. Maybe we shouldn't amen that, but sin was fun. Because the Bible says there's pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. Sin is fun, but sin is fleeting. The fun's fleeting. But here's the thing, it came natural. We just did it. You see, it was our depravity that caused us to hate. To fight. Commit adultery, to gossip, to lie, to steal, to cheat. To be filled with jealousy. And the list could go on and on. Our depravity caused us to do those things. But I want to make this clear. We weren't sinners because we sinned. We sinned because we were sinners. Hear what I'm about to say. When we speak of depravity, we aren't talking about, we aren't talking about something people become because they commit sin. We're talking about what we are by nature because of our human birth. Listen to Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by death, and death by sins, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Adam disobeyed God. Sin came into the world because of Adam's disobedience. And because of Adam, guess what? We inherited sin. And we sin because we are sinners. Psalm 51 verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Guess what? you got to be born again because the first time you're born, you're messed up. Amen? That's why Jesus said you got to be born again, Nicodemus, because the first time you come into the world, you come in messed up. Amen? Listen to this verse, Psalm 58 verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born. Speaking life. Wow. We're to pray. You don't have to teach a little child how to tell a lie. You don't have to teach a little child how to be selfish. That depravity is already there. You don't have to teach them how to cheat. Nobody had to teach me, Brother Tommy, how to cheat in school. I figured it out. Why? Because of that depravity inside of me. Nobody had to teach me how to drink or smoke. That sinfulness on the inside of me. Told me how to do all these things. I lie and gossip and steal. And guess what? As a teenager, I walked in a convenience store. Yes, I was a thief. I stole that. Thank God I didn't get caught. But I did. And I shouldn't be on Facebook. I'm not come looking for me. If they do, I'm calling somebody to bail me out. Why? Depravity. 
sinful nature. We could go around this room this morning if we had time and we could talk about things that we've done because of that depravity. We conduct ourselves to fulfill the lust of our flesh, the desires of our flesh and our mind. That's just who we were outside of Jesus. But let me, let me, let me just say something. Now that we're inside of Jesus, that, that, that old flesh, that time still comes around. That's why you have to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. That's why the Bible says mortify the deeds of flesh. Amen? Let me give you one more thing here. We were doomed. Outside of Jesus, before Christ, we were doomed. Look at verse 3. And the last part of it. It says, "Were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul closes this section of Scripture by reminding us that before Christ we stood condemned before a holy God. Outside of Jesus Christ, we rightfully deserved God's wrath and we deserved it because of who we were by our heritage. Here's what John Philip said in his commentary. The word translated children here means children by natural descent. We were born of sinful parents into a sin-cursed world. We were born possessed of a bent and inherently sinful nature and exposed to God's wrath. End of quote. Hear me well. Outside of Jesus Christ, we deserve nothing but condemnation and punishment. Outside of Jesus Christ, we deserve to be eternally separated from God. Hear me. Outside of Christ, we deserve nothing but hell. We were doomed. We were doomed. That's what we were. And so I want to close this morning by saying that this verse applies to all of us. And I'm going to stress that. It applies to every one of us. Young, old, male, female, been in church your entire life, this verse applies to all of us. And if you've sat here this morning hearing everything that I've said and you're thinking, Pastor, I wasn't that bad before I became a Christian. You weren't paying attention to anything I said. You didn't hear me whatsoever. Outside of Jesus, everyone here was dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. And if you're here today and you've been trusting anything other than Jesus, you're still dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. If your faith is not in Jesus today, this verse still applies to you. You see, here's what makes being in church your entire life so dangerous. You might think, I've been in church my entire life. I have a relatively clean past. You can skip over these verses and think these don't apply to me. It does. Because there's going to be people, as I mentioned last week, or as Matthew 7, who profess Jesus as Lord and boast about what they did for Him. And He's going to say, I don't know you. Well, listen, I grew up in my church, but I don't have a a clean past. But some of you cut your teeth on these church pews and because of maybe how strict you grew up, you've got a clean past. Listen, you better not put your faith in your clean past. 
You better not put your faith in how well you behave. Because I promise you, if you put your perfection up against the perfection of Jesus, you're going to find out you don't meet the standard. And Jesus is still going to say, hey, you're dead, you're disobedient, you're depraved, and you're still doomed without Him. Here's the thing. Everybody here is a sinner who needs a Savior. I feel Him this morning. I know we're not shouting and running and rolling the floor today, but I feel His presence today. And here's what I want you to understand over these next several weeks and months. You better know that you know that your faith is in Jesus. And it's not in religion. It's not in a denomination. And it's not in how well you behave. It's in Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's why it's so important. And again, you might be saying, Preacher, I don't need to hear these messages and I don't need to be here these next several weeks. Listen, you need to be here. You need to hear this. Because it's in Him and Him alone. And if you have to miss a week, you need to say, Preacher, I want your notes so I can read your messages or you need to get a CD and you need to hear these messages because that's how important it is to know that you are saved and on your way to heaven. We're all sinners who need a Savior and His name is Jesus. Here in chapter 2, Paul wants us to understand the depths of sin from which God rescued us so that we will appreciate the riches of His grace and the magnitude of His love. Let me just say it like this. When you understand how bad you were and what God rescued you from, it will fill you with gratitude and love for Him like no other. When you understand the muck and the mire He brought you out of, it will fill your heart with praise. Amen? is when you understand just how low you were and God brought you out, you can't help but be grateful. And you can't help but to want to live for Him. Listen, I'm tired of these preachers who want to try to put fear and guilt and condemnation on people to try to get people to live for God. When you just understand how messed up, let me say this way, when you understand how bad you were and God loved you enough to rescue you, you'll want to live for Him. Amen? I was dead and disobedient and depraved, living for myself and on my way to hell. And God intervened and said, you're not going to hell. That's why I live for Him. Not because I'm afraid, but because He loved me. J.C. Ryle wrote this in his expository commentary on the Gospel of Luke. He said, Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly seen. Christ is never fully valued until sin is clearly slain. Listen, when you see the ugliness of your sin, you'll see just how valuable Jesus is. Oh, I'm about to preach myself happy. See, Paul wants us to remember our former condition so we'll appreciate what he goes on to proclaim in verse 4 and 5. And we'll talk about this in the weeks to come. Look at verse 4 and 5. But God. He talks about we were dead, disobedient, depraved, and doomed. But then he said in verse 4 and 5, But God, who was rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ by grace, you are saved. I'll leave you with this question this morning. Is there a but God moment in your life? Is there a but God moment in your life? 
Can you say, Pastor, I was dead and disobedient and depraved and on my way to hell, but I have a but God moment in my life. I know verses 1 through 3 describe what I once was, but I'm no longer that because I had a but God moment in my life. Hallelujah. Listen, I had a but God moment in my life. He intervened. And I'm no longer what I once was. I, listen, this might sound cliche I'm not. I may not be all I need to be, but I'm not what I once was. But God. Amen. Stand with me this morning.